Welcome back to Awakening Reformation, where Reformation awakens now. My name is Grant, and joined with me is my beautiful wife, Erica, the weaker vessel. Hello, everyone. If you would like to find out more about Awakening Reformation, we are members of the Rebel Alliance Media. We are proud members. That's that's right. And you can find information about the Rebel Alliance Media at rebelalliancemedia.com. You can find us on any social media platform, and you can email us at awakenreformation at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And I would suggest you go to the website. We have articles, uh, eschatology teaching series. There are also two other podcasts. Rebel Podcast comes out on Wednesdays, and that is P8 and Vanilla. Vanilla Poots. <laughs> it's and just stuck now. He might want to do away with it, but... Sorry, Nate. (laughs) And you're welcome, Poots. Vanilla. And and you're welcome, Vanilla. (laughs) And then we do a podcast on church history with our kids. That comes out on Monday mornings. That's more of a family-friendly feel. It's shorter, about 10 to 15 minutes long. Depending on how long our children can sit still. This is this is true. They have a very short uh, uh, sit still span. Could hear the editing process of that podcast. Oh my goodness, we were rolling the other night. There, yeah, there may be some talks with with our people here about doing a Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids blooper reel because it it's pretty funny sometimes. Yes, out of the mouth of babes, right? So that's Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids that comes out Monday mornings. And Awakening Reformation podcast Tuesday mornings, and then Rebel podcast on Wednesday mornings. And then we have awesome articles that come up throughout the week, usually Thursday through Saturday. Yep. Um, the Emory Brothers are posting some awesome stuff. They're both doing a series mm-hmm. right now that are really good. Andrew is doing a series about the history of dispensationalism. Mm-hmm. Which, if you don't know that term, that's basically the eschatology behind the Left Behind movies and... Prominent yeah. view of the church today. It's really good. You guys should yeah. go check it out. Go go read those articles. Yep. It's really good stuff. We have a new studio. Yep. Studio VB has a new location. That's right. It is now our laundry room. <laughs> and I would say this is an upgrade, honestly. Yeah, we have a lot more space now. <laughs> yes, we this have. This is a legit laundry room. It's something. But I don't know if I would use the term legit, but it is a laundry room. <laughs> well, any more space compared to the closet VB Studio VB was mm-hmm. is pretty legit in my... This is God's grace Yeah, us. It's amazing. I can fold laundry, do some podcasting. It's all good. <laughs> what more could you want? If we have any listeners that are from like the greater New York City area, yeah. you should reach out to us. Yeah. We would love to connect. Yes. It would be super cool. Please do so. So tonight... We are going to talk about a very... Hot button. (laughs) I was going to say indifferent. A topic people are mostly indifferent to. Oh my gosh. Just kidding. We're talking... Floodgates let loose. And I guess this has been hot since the statement, the... Social justice. Statement on socialjustice.com released a statement that a lot of very prominent 
evangelical leaders have signed. Or haven't signed. And then others Mm -hmm. have not signed for various reasons. And we're going to talk about social justice tonight. Yes. What that is, what the Bible says about it, how a Christian... And we might take a different perspective than a lot of people. This might get us in trouble a little bit. Yeah, probably. And it is a deep topic. Very nuanced and deep and a lot of different implications. Yeah. So hopefully we can go into some of those and give a balanced approach. We have heard and read and um, listened to differing viewpoints Mm -hmm. on social justice. Some that we would flat out reject. Yep. Some that we see some merit in, but have to spit out some bones. Right. And then there are some that just raise really valid, important... um, Concerns? Concerns, yeah, that that Christians need to pause and reflect upon before we go ahead and sign something or not sign something. Right. And in today's society, I think it's easy to share something, it's easy to jump on board, or it's easy to... Um, just boycott something right. because it's trendy. And I think a lot of Christians will just see some someone, some prominent leader, Bible teacher or something, and their name is attached to a statement mm-hmm. or it's rejecting a statement or something. And because we like that said pastor or leader or something, yeah. we just automatically assume what they are signing or not signing is what we should be signing or not signing. Yeah, we think it must be good. Yeah, we or are, it must be rejected because it's you know this person isn't signing it, therefore I can't either. <laughs> right, and we're kind of conditioned in this outrage culture too. Yep. So if anything's drawing a lot of attention, we're so conditioned to give it all the attention or to be really angry because yep. everyone else is, or or be really happy and sign it just because everyone else is right. Really happy and sign it. I think that's part of feeling like you fit into mm-hmm. a, a certain people group. You know, we want to belong somewhere. And if we're reformed, Mm -hmm. then we must do what the reformed community does or vice versa Mm -hmm. without really considering what the Bible says. Yeah. And the reformed community, they're all the same. (laughs) There's still so much nuance even within the reformed community over various topics. So, So it was John MacArthur. This is what's so interesting to me. Okay. It was John MacArthur who actually headed up this statement. Am I correct? I think so. I think he was... With other people, but he was... Yeah, a few other people, but I think he was one of the main drafters. So, John MacArthur calls himself a leaky dispensationalist. Yeah. So, John MacArthur is not reformed. He has a reformed soteriology, (laughs) but that is as, as reformed as he gets. And we're not trying to be smug here. It's just the statement of fact. Well, he says it himself. I'm not making anything but he, up. But there's people who would say, okay, just because he's not, uh, you know, covenantal and baptizes babies like you. But I'm not even saying that. He's, he's not, not confessional. Like, he doesn't hold to any of the other tenets of being reformed. True. Yeah, it's soteriology. He, yeah. Tulip. He, yeah. he for sure holds to a reformed soteriology. Mm-hmm. I will credit him that. And he has some good resources. Absolutely. I'm not... I mean, that man has done way more than anything I've ever done in my life. So I'm not sitting here pointing down at him. Don't hear mm-hmm. me like that. But So why do you think his dispensationalism makes this statement ironic? So I think his dispensationalism definitely tinges parts of this statement. And there are parts of the statement that are really good. Mm-hmm. That we would be in total agreement with. Right. And there are parts that are a bit concerning, I think think personally. Yeah. Al Muller does a really good job of talking through this on his latest Q&A that he released. Yeah. And it's the Q&A 
where he's in the chapel at Southern Seminary, not mm-hmm. the Q&A or the recent Ask Anything Live that he did as a part of the briefing podcast. Just if anyone wants to look it up, it's the YouTube video Q&A where he's in the chapel and it was just released mm-hmm. a week ago. Yeah. He, well, by the time this airs, a few weeks ago. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does a really good job of kind of breaking apart certain issues that he has mm-hmm. with it, which we would agree with, I think. Most of them, yeah. Um. And then he affirms certain parts of it, but he himself did not sign the statement. Yeah. Um, and actually, in all fairness, he is as reformed as John MacArthur. MacArthur. Mm-hmm. So, once again, I am not being like the snarky Presbyterian here. Like, that's yeah. not the issue at all. Kevin DeYoung released a short blog, once again, a couple weeks ago from the airing of this podcast. And I thought he did a pretty good job at asking some questions. Like, what is it that we're talking about when we Mm -hmm. use the term social justice? Because that term can mean something to one person and something completely opposite to another. Right. So the term itself, social justice, I think is so muddied and convoluted that I think that's half of the problem why Christians are maybe perhaps at odds with each other on this topic. Because we just don't even understand what the other party is talking about when they're using the term social justice. Well, and I think our idea of justice is so differentiated between that's peoples true. and even just Christians. Mm-hmm. And so when you say social justice, just like you said, one person's thinking one person, the one sitting right next to him is thinking something completely different. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because mostly in the church, when we teach about justice, we just think of God like punishing people. Like oh, the final judgment. Yeah. Like God's yeah. final oh, judgment. You know, we got justice, right? Mm-hmm. When we watch our true crime stuff and the sentencing is, you know, they finally found the guy. The perpetrator, the yeah. The perpetrator. And he gets sentenced to, you know, a bazillion years in jail. And they always say justice was served. And that's always... Our idea of justice is just a punishment was given out to, a proper the, punishment. to the wrongdoer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Justice is a much bigger topic than that. One person can be talking about reparations when mm-hmm. they're talking about social justice, and the other person can be talking about feeding orphans and widows. Right. Both people are using the term social justice. Yep. One is a biblical concept, the other not. And because one person is saying this is justice and the other person is saying this is justice, now we are so confused and so mm-hmm. um, just muddied on what we're even talking about that, of course, it's going to lead to frustrations and opposing views right? and just tons and tons of problems. So, Kevin Young did a great job in that article. Just let's yeah. define what we're talking about. So, let's do that. Let's start there. Let's define what you and I would call social justice, and then we'll talk about what other common um, conceptions are of social justice, like what other people groups, other sects of Christianity or the world would call social Mm -hmm. justice. Okay. Because of the inevitable outcome of the gospel, Mm -hmm. we are compelled to create flourishing in the world via discipleship, environmental care, and a plethora of other ways And that can only happen by the transforming power of the gospel, by converting a lost and dying world. And so what we say, the inevitable outcome of people in the world becoming Christians Mm -hmm. is going to be that more right is going to be done in the world. And this is where eschatology really matters, right? Exactly. Which is why it's funny, or which is why those nuances come into that statement through mm -hmm. MacArthur. But yeah, yeah, what are you going to say? Yeah, well, MacArthur's dispensationalism, that's where, like, 
where we would define social justice is going to be different than MacArthur. Because yeah. he is a dispensationalist, our eschatological views mm-hmm. are going to, like, we're going to sit from a different place and view um, the, the ending. Yeah. Yeah. We see inevitable increase in flourishing and gospel renewal, whereas he would see, dispensationalists would see, an inevitable decrease and. Like a disintegration. Doom. Yeah. Disintegrate. An yeah. inevitable disintegration. Right. So where he's going to see disintegration, we're going to see flourishing. Right. That's, and that makes a huge difference in this topic, right? Yeah. We're saying we actually can accomplish a just and right society yeah. by the power of the gospel. Right. And he would think that's absurd. Yeah. Yep. So that would be how we would define social justice. Right. Now, we can get into nuances within that. Like, right. how do we accomplish mm-hmm. um, that environmental stewardship and, you right. know, getting to a point where racism is greatly diminished and all these different outworkings yeah, all of the of gospel. It, all, that, mm-hmm. all that the uproars are about are affected by the gospel. Yes. So the other common ones that I have just seen mm-hmm. on Facebook, social media, had conversations with a few of our friends. So a couple of the common other opposing views of social justice would be the view that says that basically just doing nice things mm-hmm. and just like making the world a better place one good deed at a time yeah. is what Christians should do. And that's how we can share the love of Christ. Just be nice and do good things. What's the saying that is commonly used for this type of attitude? The preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Mm-hmm. Yep. And this is... Or the golden rule. They'll use the golden rule yeah, here. This is where... Most of the social gospel movements have have been associated with this yeah. type of teaching. The early 1900s, late 1800s, there were several of them. A lot of organizations or denominations that start out great become more and more liberal. They often drift in this direction and then just become a social gospel. But we just want to, you know, be the church, or we want to just yep. be the be peace in society and this sort of thing. Ligon Duncan has a great quote that he says, saying that share the gospel, use words if necessary, is like saying, if you're hungry, be full, use food if necessary. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. We're told explicitly in the New Testament that the gospel is not just you living it out, because that is a inevitable outcome, mm-hmm. is that your life will bear fruit, but it starts with a message being proclaimed verbally. Yep. In the marketplace, in the home, in the world, and the Holy Spirit uses that message to make hearts new. And because hearts are new, fruit is born mm-hmm. out of that life and into the world. So you can't take the preaching of the gospel away from this equation. Well, and they like to boil it down to a works-based righteousness, essentially. Right, because then if you're not doing it the way they want you to. Right. Well, and it gets it goes all the way back to the argument of do our works save us? No, our works don't save us. Mm-hmm. But if we are saved and we don't have works, are we really saved? Right. Well, no, because we know clearly from scripture that works accompany true faith. Yeah. They don't generate true faith, mm-hmm. but they accompany. It's, it's a fruit that is born from true faith. You know, we're saved by faith alone, but not a faith that remains alone. Works do accompany exactly. it later on. Well, and we would reject that altogether. And mm-hmm. I think primarily that is what the social justice statement was trying to reject. Right. 
Yeah, I think they're scared of groups today sliding into that social gospel category. Yes, because that that is obviously not the biblical gospel, that we can Mm -hmm. at all just do enough good things and people will love God. I mean, that's not that's not how the gospel works. It's not yeah. even the gospel. Mm-hmm. But by doing that, they end up being the next category. And this is where more of the MacArthur camp probably would come into play. Yeah. And uh, from this position, they'd say that social justice, their version of social justice, is not possible or probable because of sin. They would probably even lean on the tea and tulip, you know, total depravity. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore, to exert energy is not only foolish and a waste of time, but it's a misplaced work. So basically, they would say that because of sin, in sin in the world, we can't ever accomplish like a flourishing on this earth. It's not mm-hmm. going to happen. Christ is going to come back, and this is where that dispensational type of thinking comes in. Mm-hmm. He's going to come back, and he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth, and that's where true justice can reign. Yeah. That's when the flourishing happens. That's where the flourishing happens. Right. So for us to work for justice now is a misplaced work because right now the only work we should really be doing is to just try and convert people. Yeah. And so there's two different camps. There's a conversion camp and then there's a transformational camp. Yes. And the conversion camp is just... We need to preach the gospel and people need to be converted. And that's the main thing. And that's what we do. And it pretty much stops there. Mm-hmm. And then the other camp is the transformational camp, which is we need to transform this world. And I think we'd kind of, we need to land in the middle. Yeah. It was both. both. It's both. You can't sure. have the transformation without conversion. Yeah. But if you have conversion, you're going to have transfer transformation. That's It would be inevitable. Yeah. So I don't know how... You- Anyway, so anyway, that's part of our frustration with this statement and with a lot of the talk going around. And, and there are very popular bloggers and kind of the evangelical reform community that we disagree with. That People that we love and respect. Well, I was talking about like the Tabidis, you know, and some of the other people. Oh, I thought that, you were talking about like the MacArthur's. No. Um, I mean, yeah, we disagree with him, too. And still respect them for the work they've done and everything. Yeah. And But there are others who I think are buying into a lot of the culture's idea of social justice mm-hmm. and buying into just our culture's pet mm-hmm. issues yeah, yeah. of social justice rather than looking to God's word for what the issues of justice should be. Yeah. And they love pulling just those verses that apply to their pet issue yep. to the dismissal of other really important topics. Well, this is where having a robust biblical theology is so helpful because we don't look at just individual verses to come up with our idea of justice, you know, as um, post-millennials, as we believe in covenant theology, we call ourselves a small t theonomist. Mm -hmm. And so all those things play into how we believe social justice, like a true social justice, a godly justice to be applied and work out in society mm-hmm. right now and then a hundred years from now and then a thousand years from now and then the telos when everything is completed and brought to its final state right then yes we will have like a perfect justice we're not saying that we can accomplish that type of justice this side of things and we are still submitting to the power of the holy spirit for any growth in the church, any salvation, right? I mean, we are reformed, so we believe that it's the Spirit who works this anyway. We are just uh, humble, obedient servants to what we've been commanded to do. Mm-hmm. Disciple the nations, and then we take the whole of Scripture as our cue for 
how we do justice in society. Mm-hmm. What should we be striving for when it comes to laws and when it comes to society structures and all this kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. You know, what the civil magistrate is supposed to be doing. There is great wisdom in the word of God and in his law. Yeah. To be gleaned and to be applied right. where we can. Even in all of that, we remember in the back of our minds that it only happens through the preaching of the gospel. This renewal only happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. And so I think taking those two things gives us our balance. Because yeah. there's those who lean way on the theonomy side and just think, well, as long as we get the laws in there, then we're good. It can sound like harsh. the it can sound very harsh and that the laws are going to bring about the salvation. Right. Obviously, you lean on the other side where it's like the Anabaptist side where church and state are so far apart that the state can do whatever the world it wants to do. Mm-hmm. And that makes that that is of no consequence to Jesus. Right. Jesus is only cared, cares about the church. The individual. And the individual. Mm-hmm. You mentioning covenant theology is very important because the covenant of creation at the beginning, which is what God made with Adam and all mankind is still in effect today, which is to tend and keep the earth, yep. to marry, multiply, and... Create I, flourishing. Yeah, exactly. And I read a great quote um, by O. Palmer Robertson in his book, The Christ of the Covenants, and he was talking about the covenant of creation, and he said, by thinking too narrowly about the covenant of creation, the Christian church has come to cultivate a deficiency in its entire world and life view. Instead of being kingdom-oriented, as was Christ, it has become exclusively Mm church-oriented. I think it's really important to get this right and to have that that balance between the two. Yeah, it's not just individualistic. Christ's bride is the church. Right. So to just say, well, we just need to work on converting individuals, I don't think is really necessarily... I mean, that's true. We should. That's one person at a time, one individual at a time, Mm -hmm. Um, the church grows, and that is the heart of God of the church. And like those whom Christ died for would come to a saving knowledge of him. That's that's the goal, right? Mm -hmm. But in that Christ accomplishing their salvation, he didn't just save them to not go to hell. He saved them unto good works. Exactly. Yeah. It's a narrow mindset of, I think, discipleship. It's a narrow mindset of salvation, mm-hmm. sanctification. Um, I think you're kind of stripping away a lot of those, the meat of those doctrines, if you really want to do away with social justice altogether. Now, we might have to clean up the terminology a little bit and shake off some of the icky bits or whatever. <laughs> but but yeah. what, s- what true social justice is is a right and good thing, and it should be something that Christians strive for. Mm-hmm. The problem is with terminology, you know? I know we get a lot of flack for the name of our podcast and even our hashtag get woke. I think even Summer Yeager mentioned something about like, we need to stop using culture's words (laughs) and like start using biblical language. I think this is a problem with Christians. When we listen to Cross Politic and they're always talking about how the world is outplaying us. The mm-hmm. Christians need to like start making the plays. Right. So we need to start redeeming this language and start taking yeah. back words and what words mean. Right. So when people are talking about social justice and they're talking about it incorrectly, instead of saying social justice is a pile of crap, what we should say is, I agree with you. Let me tell you biblically what social justice is. Right. Let me show you what the Bible says about 
creating a societal flourishing. And then you can walk through the gospel and walk through the implications of the gospel and the meta narrative of scripture and how mm-hmm. one day the curse will be lifted and God will, you know, restore all things unto himself. And it, in doing that is doing social justice, you right. know, that in the truest form. Yeah. But we need to start taking back language and not just giving it over to the world. Yeah, we need to stop letting them win, gain headway. Part of my becoming a theonomist was what happens when a civil magistrate, the congressman or a senator, become a Christian. Now they have to be a Christian in writing legislation. Yeah. So how do they do that? So how do they do that? Their mind is being shaped and formed by the Bible, which it should be. They're not going to like certain laws because they're going to see that that's unjust. And so they're going to tend to lean more and more to the wisdom that's in scripture. Yeah. Um, I was listening to an interview with D.A. Carson, and he was talking about, well, he's talking about discipleship and the problem with how the churches kind of failed at doing discipleship in general. And something he said was that discipleship is not just knowing stuff, but it is the, the doing stuff in conformity with Christ. Yeah. If you are conforming into the image and the likeness of Christ, then you will just do stuff. It's not just knowing what stuff is, like good theology or knowing a bunch of scripture in your head. It's the working out of that, the the outpouring of that. So the the groups that just want to do good things in society, Mm -hmm. and that's how you share the gospel, are the ones that are kind of spreading a Christianity that's devoid of the theology. And Mm -hmm. we understand that theology isn't just head knowledge, Mm -hmm. but if you don't have any knowledge about God then you're spreading a Christianity that is empty. Well, and that's where you can fall off on either side of the ditch. You know, with with the group that says we can never truly attain a social justice on this side of things, they're just saying get all the knowledge and win some souls, but don't ever do anything Mm -hmm. about it outside of convert hearts. Yeah. And then, which we can't even do anyway. (laughs) Like you said, it's just the working of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, But then the other side, like you just got done saying and explaining so well, is that it's do all the things but have no theology. No true heart conversions. Mm -hmm. And those two sides tend to war against each other. And they both will weigh the, the banner of like social justice as one thing. And not even understanding that they're not even talking about the same issue, really. Yeah, and I think you made a good point, too, that upstream, there's a discipleship problem. Mm -hmm. In some places, the discipleship is going to take a long time. Mm -hmm. And so, they aren't doing systematic theologies in their Sunday school class. You know, they're doing basics of Christianity or Mm -hmm. something very light because the church or that area is a very unchurched area. I think New York City is kind of like this from what we've tried to pay attention to yeah. since we've been here is it's not it's not like some places in the south or a city where a large conservative richly theological church is we're in a place where we are much further upstream in their theological understanding and so discipleship is going to take a lot longer mm-hmm. and the outworkings of the gospel are going to need much more intentionality. Right. And this is, I think, largely an issue of geography. Yeah. And this might be a lot of the issue as well of why certain people in certain regions tend to lean one way or the other. 
having come from the South, everyone down there at least has a basic understanding of the Bible. They may not have good theology. Many people don't. But there are just certain um, levels of understanding that they have. Mm -hmm. Most people know the Bible is the word of God. They may not obey it, but they know that that's what it is, that it's authoritative in some fashion. Even if it's just to put your hand down in, on it in court and swear on it, yeah. it still holds some type of authority in the South. You know, there's there's that very basic level of understanding. Mm-hmm. But then having come up here into New York City, it's just a whole new world. Right. The understanding, the the basis of morality is different. I mean, everything is just so different. Mm-hmm. So to disciple someone from Fayetteville, North Carolina is going to look a whole lot different than to disciple someone from Brooklyn, New York. Doug Wilson said something profound. In a society, you don't want most of the commoners to be Christian and desiring uh, godly justice and all that in their society, and then there's no leader to lead it and govern it, no civil magistrate to qualify it, and there's no... No one to lead that kind of society. On the other hand, you don't want to have a completely pagan society, but then this leader who just wants to enact God's law across the board to the disregard of discipling anyone that's in that kingdom. There are stories in King's era in the nation of Israel where both these situations happened. And the one where the godly king was the ruler of all the wicked people. He came into power and then changed all the rules and tore down all the idols and did all these things too fast. And he was assassinated. You know, and I think we can glean some wisdom there that in some places, i.e. New York City, it takes a long time. Yeah. And it takes a lot of hard work to disciple the city. And faithfulness. Yeah. I think the unfortunate thing is, regardless of what place you're from, if if you are from a different type of society where justice is interpreted differently, people from the opposite side of the aisle often look over and say, you're doing it wrong. Right. Yeah. And that's where the Christian community needs to, I think, take a step back and... Be a little gracious. Yeah. Be a little more gracious. And we've only been here in Brooklyn for... A month or something. Yeah. But even in that short amount of time, we've noticed how different it is yeah. than the South. And some of... It's polar opposite in just about yeah. every way. Having conversations with some of my soldiers here or some of the people here that live here and have lived here for decades, mm-hmm. it's a completely different person when it comes to faith and culture. Yeah, we need to we need to be understanding and have some... Some graciousness. Exactly. And patience towards each other. Yeah. We have to realize, too, that all throughout Scripture, God is referred to as a just God. Mm -hmm. For a Christian to say that social justice doesn't matter would basically be to say that, like, loving your neighbor doesn't matter. I mean, it's just that absurd. Right. Of course it matters because we should love our neighbor because God is a, a God of love. Now, we can say that God's form of love often is very different from how we would interpret love. And we need to love our neighbor like God defines love, not like the world defines love. Right. And the same is true for social justice. Mm-hmm. So the world has a skewed idea of social justice. That doesn't mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater. What we need to do is define social justice as God does, because God is a just God. Therefore, to do justice is godly and a godly endeavor. Yeah, and that's where the discipleship comes in, because people are going to have to go to their Bibles mm-hmm. to, like you just said, learn what love is, but then go study 
all the passages that talk about the poor. In Deuteronomy, there is some great wisdom when it comes to how we treat the poor. Yeah. The farmers not allowed to harvest twice. They harvest once and then the rest, the poor were supposed to be able to come in and glean whatever they could get. And that's what we see Ruth doing in the book of Ruth. Yeah. They were following the law there and the poor were taken care of. But then also we see that the poor were not supposed to be shown partiality in the court. Right. This is godly justice and there's wisdom here. We need to go back and apply godly wisdom to to our society. This is where the theonomy comes into play, too, because we would say God's law still does um, pertain to us nowadays. Mm -hmm. We don't do away with the verses of the Old Testament. They're not at odds with Jesus' teachings and the apostolic teachings of the New Testament. Right. So when the New Testament said care for the poor, we should go back to the Old Testament and go, okay, well, how did they care for the poor? How do we care for the poor? Here's the general equity, mm-hmm. as the Westminster talks about, that I can apply to society today. Yep. And there are some ridiculously bureaucratic laws when it comes to farming in America. Yeah. <laughs> to the exclusion or dismissal of taking care of the poor. In a lot of ways, the bureaucracy makes it really difficult to take care of the poor. Yep. And so those are some of the things that we can do other than just being generous ourselves that can bring justice to a society. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, because of like MacArthur's dispensational beliefs and stuff, mm-hmm. he wouldn't even say that God's laws, as found in the Old Testament, do pertain to us. Yeah, it's done and over with. It's done away with. Yeah, it served its, pur- ser- it served its purpose. Well, and even like the New Covenant theologians and all those, I mean, there's so many different nuances to this, but this is, once again, why... Theology really does <laughs> yeah. matter. Biblical theology matters. Biblical, yeah. We're told to like let our light shine before all men. They may see yeah. our good deeds right. so that God is glorified. And I was yeah. just going to say like the end of social justice and having this like improved upon society, like that's not the the end all for a Christian. Right. For a post-millennial. It's not to just have a better world, this utopia and this place where it's not nearly as bad as it, bad as it is right now. Mm-hmm. We, that's not what we're working for. What we're working for is the glory of God. Yeah, we're working for that vision in Revelation where peoples of all the nations come to God in worship. And I think with that in mind, it prevents you from falling off into either end of the ditch. Mm-hmm. The more that you tell somebody they need to be generous, they need to be helping the poor, they need to be doing this, they either are going to do it to appease their conscience, which is a works-based you know, salvation is just, I'm doing this, so now I feel better about myself, which is what we see Hollywood doing all the time. Mm-hmm. Or never, It never lasts. It never lasts. Yeah, or their heart's not changed, so they don't care to, they don't care to do it. They don't want to do it. They don't right. have love for their neighbor that only is provided by God. You're going to have a lot of futile efforts in getting people mobilized and caring for neighbor because their heart's not changed. So probably some of the biggest dangers with all the discussions about social justice are when people use the terminology gospel issue. And Kevin DeYoung did talk about this in his Mm -hmm. article, but I wanted to mention that because I think that's where most of the rub happens. Well, it's basically like your way of throwing down your trump card and no one can argue with you if you say it's a gospel issue. Right. It's like when God told me. Yeah. Yeah, basically. <laughs> because how can you argue with that? There's no sense in there's no sense in arguing with someone who basically says, Well, it's a gospel issue and you're like, not well, believing shoot. the gospel. If I disagree with you, then I'm a heretic. Yeah. If by gospel issue you mean 
if you're not doing X, Y, and Z, or if you're not doing a ministry like I do here for the poor or against racism or for the unborn, if you're not doing a ministry like this in your church, then you're not a Christian. Let's look at Peter and Paul. You know, when Peter was basically being a racist Mm -hmm. and he was compelled towards racist ideologies, then what happened? Paul caught wind of it. Paul calls him out. Paul doesn't say, hey, Peter, this is a gospel issue. No, he didn't. He said, you're not believing the gospel rightly. Yeah, he said, you're not in step with the gospel. So there's a massive difference. Like, racism is not the gospel. Right. Just because you're not a racist does not mean you're a Christian. Mm -hmm. It's not a gospel issue. That's not the gospel. Right. That's works-based salvation. Yes. Now, was he believing the gospel correctly? No, absolutely not. Because had he been believing the gospel correctly and seeing that biblical theology of, you know, the the meta narrative of scripture where God takes a people who wasn't his people, makes it his people, redeems Mm -hmm. them. Like if if you were to see that rightly, then you would never fall into the same trap that Peter fell into with his racist ideologies. Mm -hmm. Paul didn't come at him and say, like, you're not even a Christian you're not, you know, you're just this racist now. I don't even think you're saved. That wasn't the type of conversation he had. Mm-hmm. What he did is he pointed out the error in his theology. You're not believing it rightly. Right. That's different than you're not believing it at all. Mm-hmm. You've not let the gospel inform your actions. Right. That's different than you just not believe the gospel. Exactly. So if you are saying it's a gospel issue in the sense that If you're a Christian, then you also cannot at the same time, or you also should not at the same time, believe in racism or... I don't, I just don't think I like the term it's a gospel issue because only the gospel is a gospel issue. That's just the truth of it. Only Christ and Christ crucified is what Paul wanted to be preached. That's the gospel issue. Now, if we're talking about how the gospel informs our living, Mm -hmm. that's different. Which is what I think a lot of people mean when they say it's a gospel issue. Right. Because you're not believing it rightly. But then just say that. Don't say it's a gospel issue. Yeah. Because that's where you lean more towards that side of the line where it's like, Mm -hmm. just don't be a racist and then you're a Christian. But that's not the the gospel. Right. And how often do we preach to people like, no matter what you've done, come to Jesus. You know what I mean? The ground at the foot of the cross is level. Yeah. No matter if you're rich, poor, prostitute, or a very moralistic person or whatever, it's level. All, we all come, right? Mm -hmm. There, there's no partiality with God. How does that compute with, well, if you're not doing XYZ, then you're not Christian. You know what I mean? We don't mark Christians by. Well, and it presumes to a certain extent too that you are able to determine their salvation. Mm hmm. Right. Which I just think is going too far. So, to do that when we say this person doesn't believe the gospel rightly in this mm. area. Okay, well then disciple them. Yeah, exactly. Which is what Paul did. Yeah. Disciple them. Then. Teach them the gospel Teach again them and the implications how, of yep. the gospel affecting their life. Exactly. And everyone has different struggles. And everyone has different starting lines. Yep. So, we need to take that into account when we look at churches and their ministries or this guy and his in their ministries and understand that everyone has been gifted by the Holy Spirit for different works. You know, not right. everyone is a scholar. Not everyone is a social activist. Not everyone does all of that. Yeah. Not everyone does is, ministry in New York City. Not everyone does ministry in North Carolina. Not everyone does ministry in 
Boulder, Colorado, mm-hmm. or um, San Diego, California, or right. anywhere else. China. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> but how, how the gospel affects your social, I don't want to say social justice, activity. Kind of, your social activity in China. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about how that would be so much different than how it is even in New York City, where it's much harder than in the South. Mm-hmm. Where you are does affect the type of um, humanitarian type efforts, just the the boots on the ground. Right. It's going to look differently in certain places based on the culture around you. What's legal, yeah. you know, what's... And that doesn't mean we stay, we stray away from the hard things. Right. It just means it might look different. Yeah. And we've noticed here that it's not common to just call yourself a Christian at work or in public. Well, it's not really common to talk to anyone well, <laughs> for any reason. True. <laughs> so to just talk to someone and to be nice to your yeah. cashier is like every time we will just talk to our cashier, they're so friendly to us. Yeah. They like explode with happiness just and like the biggest smile because no one talks to them because no yeah. one cares about them. Yeah. So to like have the gospel affect our interactions mm-hmm. when we go to Target is way different here than it was in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We don't act any different. Mm-hmm. We don't interact with people around us any differently. But the impact here seems so much in a sense almost more better. Yeah, greater. Yeah more pervasive than yeah. it even did in Fayetteville, North Carolina. So be gracious with people. Ask them what they mean yeah. by social justice. Mm-hmm. And then if you think they're wrong, just pull a Paul. With the, let me show you what the Bible actually says about social justice and give them the meta narrative of scripture. Maybe they're not believing the gospel rightly and they need to hear it from you. Yeah. I would encourage everyone who is thinking about this topic of social justice to go read the law in Old Testament and yeah. read what it talked about caring for the sojourner and the poor and a widow. And we're not talking about Marxism, people. Yeah, definitely not talking about Marxism. There are some terrible, wicked ideas of social justice out in our culture right now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely ungodly. And we should be working to transform those people, though. Yeah. By the power of the gospel. So that means we need to. Know Show them, them know how them somehow, they are too. not believing the gospel <laughs> yeah. rightly. That's a Christian's job. And it, that is, in a sense, doing social justice. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So, Showing them the futility of secular thinking. Mm-hmm. So, And really, is, only a Christian can do a, a biblical social justice. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the thing. The only true justice that ever happens is going to be one that's grounded in God. Because it is informed by the gospel. It's not the gospel, but it is informed by the gospel. Right. Rightly. Yeah. And as a post-millennial theonomic Christian, Mm -hmm. there's even more thrust behind doing a a correct and a proper biblical Mm -hmm. social justice. Yeah. Because we, we have that optimistic ending. Yeah. We believe it's possible. And that God's laws are the parameters by which we can navigate that. Yeah. First John talks about to those who have the ability to do good. If they don't do it, it's sin yeah. to them. So we need to take that into account. Or even in Romans one, where it talks about that 
they were giving approval to those who were doing the evil things. Mm-hmm. You know, even that's wrong. It yeah. just just because you're not doing the evil, if you're giving approval to the people around you doing the evil, and you're not trying to put an end to it, that's evil as well. Yeah, there are even some in the church who are buying into the Marxist idea of social justice as well. Yeah, and so even Christians need to be aware of those leaders that are, mm-hmm. but. That discernment is going to come from knowing your Bible. Yep. So absolutely, encourage you with that. And fall off the bandwagon yeah. either side. Well, if this wasn't confusing enough, <laughs> we'll be back at you next week. If you have any further questions, send them our way, and maybe we'll do a follow up. I hope this was beneficial and clear. Yeah. Hopefully, we were clear-ish. Clear as mud. We got to care about society and through a gospel lens. Well, we're called to create a flourishing right and that can only happen because of yeah covenant of creation is still in effect are you good i'm good i hope you guys enjoyed this topic tune in next week for another episode we pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened by the power of the holy spirit until next time get woke Let's start with the microphone check, one, two, first. Water to the dry and weary soul of the true church. The kind of things that few search, they say that the truth hurts. Well, this pain is gained, so let's explain the new birth. First things first, can't neglect this at the start. I must preface my remarks with the deadness of the heart. From original sin, the effects of the fall. The sin of our first parents brought death to us all. Since Adam was our federal head, what he did counted for us. In him were all rebels and dead. Yo, captured in the mind, disaster, sin and crimes in a dark state, Alaska in the winter time, sour in our frames, left to ourselves, we be devoured in the flames, cause we're powerless to change, if you feel that way, I pray that you respond happily, as you see what Jesus had to say in John chapter 3. Verse 1 is my thesis, it's the deepest truth that should get you speechless What scripture teaches will fill in the missing pieces Picture Jesus meeting up with Nicodemus Perhaps it was fright about the other Pharisees Wicked spite against Christ that turned this into naked night He called the rabbi and gave him props Said he was a teacher from God Jesus replied, made him stop Regarding the kingdom of God, no one's going in In fact, you can't even see it unless you're born again That must have consumed and stretched his mind Cause he said, can a man enter his mother's womb a second? Naturalistically, the only way for him to hear it Jesus said you must be born of the water and the spirit No other way to enter heaven That sounds like Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27 In this new birth, the spirit is the source and the agent The water symbolizes spiritual purification Flesh can only produce flesh, that's true and factual Regenerating work of the spirit is supernatural It's kind of like the wind, which is free East to west can't perceive the steps You can only see its effects In the same way the Holy Spirit chooses who he pleases to sovereignly open their eyes to the truth of Jesus. If 
it wasn't for the spirit's mysterious operation uh -huh. We would all be under serious condemnation I'd still be rejecting the sun If God hadn't said, let there be light Like Genesis 1, yeah And just like the light could not refuse to shine Irresistible grace has renewed my mind Let's exalt the king who died and truly is risen The new birth is not the effect of human decision But the cause, it changes our natural habitation The situation, it's a radical transformation I was cursed and polluted so my dirt was inexcusable with new internal pupils his person is beautiful his worth is indisputable the lamb is amazing a standing ovation for his work in the crucible so let us respond with true worship and love to the god who was given new birth from above